Today we're reading from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Bonnie. Well, as we began the year, uh, we talked about the gospel being the matter of first importance. And if it's the matter of first importance, it is that which we should set our minds on. That's what we talked about the second week of January, setting our minds on the things that are above where Christ is seated. Because the gospel informs everything that we do as Christians. And then last week we talked about how the gospel informs our friendships in the church. So gospel friendships are informed by Christ's love for us. And we're going to kind of continue along with that. Even though we're part of this, we'll be talking about serving, we want to see how the gospel informs our relationships, how we relate to others as we look at Christ. See, we live in, in a day in which, in which emotions have become the standard for what we do. And I think I'll probably have a message later on in the series about how the gospel informs emotions. Because uh, for the non-Christian in our day, not just in our country, but around the world, that feelings are the standard for how we should perceive the world, how we should live. But as Christians, God's revealed word and Christ is the standard for how we should perceive the world and how we should live and certainly how we should interact with one another, how we should relate to one another. So we don't want to relate to one another just simply how we feel in any given moment. We want to relate to one another out of the love of Christ, with Christ in view. So Christ is our example and we're going to see that here in the text. So why don't we pray uh, because we need God's help. Father, we need your help. We need your help to love 
one another. We need your help to reveal to us the truths that are found in your word in which we see the wonder of who Christ is. And would you help us, Lord, to grasp even more this morning the wonder of Christ as we've sung about Christ, as we've sung about you. Lord, would that change us? We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. So we'll continue talking about gospel friendship because gospel friendship pursues unity. Look at your Bibles, and it says in verses 1 and 2, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. There's, there's this unity that's talked about. Now, there's a difference between unity and uniformity. Uniformity is pressure from the outside to do things a certain way. Oftentimes, what outsiders look at Christians is like they, they do certain things. They all look this way, or they wear these certain kinds of clothes, or they do this certain kind of thing, and it, it's kind of an external thing. But unity is a matter of the heart. Unity is a matter of the heart. So when he says in verse 2, it's the same mind. So the same mind being minds that are biblically saturated. As we talked about focusing on the things that are above where Christ is seated. We have the same mind because we're focused on the same truth, the same love. So rooted in Christ's love, as we talked about last week, having being in full accord. So being united in spirit. Uh, there's a harmoniousness that we should experience in the body of Christ, having one mind. So that mind being focused singularly on the gospel. Certainly we can have differences in secondary matters. Uh, we all aren't going to live in the same kind of house or have the same kind of income or have the same number of kids or be married or not be married, stay single, any number of different uh, things that are going to be different about us. But having the same minds we, means we have the singular focus on Christ and we want to, to have that in front of us regularly because the temptation is to be distracted by the differences or to let the differences divide. But if we focus on that which is which our minds are the same and we focus on Christ, that's how we pursue unity. And unity isn't just something that's like a command. Just that we do that, okay, this is what we're commanded to do, so we should do it. Unity reflects the Godhead. When we experience unity, it reflects the relationship that happens between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Because at the beginning of the passage, it says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, when we think about Christ, he was fully submitted to the Father. In John 5, Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does Likewise, Jesus experienced unity. Jesus experienced 
submitting to the Father. Jesus said in, in John 10, I and the Father are one. Jesus even prayed for unity for us because we would reflect that relationship. In John 17, he prayed in John 17, 21, that they may all be one. So praying for us, praying for his disciples at the time and for all who would trust in Christ. He said that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So when we talk about unity, there, there is a, an eternal significance to it because unity existed in the Godhead before creation. And so when we express unity, we're expressing you know, that attribute of God was because we're created in God's image to reflect his glory. We're not exactly him. Jesus is the imprint of his nature, but we reflect his glory when we pursue unity. When we pursue love, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit. Believers who are submitted to the Spirit of God are going to bear the fruits of the Spirit as we've talked about. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. And so if that's true, the reality is, is, is disunity often reveals there's a spiritual problem with our fellowship with one another. We can go quickly to, oh, well, it's, it's our differences of opinion about these matters or because they're so big. But disunity will not be solved by creating rules that we all agree to. Disunity will not be solved if we talk to others about others and and try to, to solve it that way. It will be solved when hearts are right with Christ and when hearts are right with one another. And Paul, as he is writing to the Philippians, wants to expose something. So he's calling them to unity and he's saying, hey, th there's one kind of theme here that causes disunity. And that is selfishness because selfishness is is rooted in pride putting self above others Warren Wiersbe said there can be no joy in the life of the Christian who puts himself above others so gospel friends are called to be selfless to be selfless not selfish but selfless because we breathe the air as, as these would have breathed the air of focusing on self. And we are, we are even in more danger because, because these Christians still lived in a culture in which you had to be dependent on other people to survive. We have so many things available to us that allow us to be completely insular, to have us be the center of the universe. So we have to push back against it. And the answer is humility. So I'll look back at the text, verses 3 and 4. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, or selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. 
Now, humility is often misunderstood as someone who has a low view of themselves. The person who says, oh, I'm just really terrible and no, 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 I can't, I can't do that. There's just... But humility is not self-deprivation. Humility is counting others more significant than yourself. It's not thinking badly about yourself, but rather not thinking about yourself at all. Tim Keller in his book, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness, talked about C.S. Lewis. He said, C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity makes a brilliant observation about gospel humility. At the very end of his chapter on pride, if we were to meet a truly humble person, Lewis says, we would never come away from meeting them thinking they were humble. They would not be always telling us they were a nobody because a person who keeps saying they are a nobody is actually a self-obsessed person. The thing we would remember from meeting a truly gospel humble person is how much they seem to be totally interested in us. Because the essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. It is thinking of myself less. So gospel humility isn't about thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking about yourself less. It, it's, not, it's not even needing to think about yourself. Not needing to connect the things that you do with yourself. True gospel humility means I stop connecting every experience, every conversation with myself. In fact, I just stop thinking about myself. And there is such freedom in not thinking of ourselves first. And there is an effect on those around us when we think of ourselves less. Because if you just compare the fruits of what happens when we are selfish to when we are selfless, when we are prideful or when we are humble. Because the, the selfish person has a high view of themselves. You might even go to the extreme of being vain or an exaggerated view of themselves. But humility has a high view of others. Selfishness has a drive and a motivation inward. How can I, how can I help me? And humility has a, a drive and a motivation to focus outward. Selfishness says, what will benefit me in this situation? Humility says, what will benefit them in this situation? What will benefit this others in the situation? Ultimately, excessive selfishness can end in divisiveness when humility brings others together, thinking about others. Selfishness serves when it's easy. Humility serves when it's hard because it's actually not hard because you're not thinking of yourself. You're thinking of the joy of being a blessing 
better to give than to receive. You, The person who is humble isn't actually thinking the serving that they're doing is hard because they generate joy from it because they're looking at Christ who is doing it. But yet to the outsider, it's like, oh, that's really hard. How do they do that? They must just be humble. There's some special thing about them. No, they're, they're, their mindset is different. It's, it's about our mindset. The selfish person is going to serve just based on their subjective feelings where the humble person is going to serve based on the, the truth found in God's word. So if we were to go back and read Philippians chapter 1, it's all about Christ. Because really, our mindset is to be about Christ first. And then as we come to chapter 2, it's others next. That doesn't mean we become religious doormats. That we don't ever take care of ourselves or, or our families. No, look at verse 4. The call is, let each of you look not only to his own interests, certainly there are things we need to take care of, and we do have to take care of our own interests, but also to the interests of others. It means we turn away from ourselves, and we do focus on the interests of others. So how do we do this? Paul so helpfully points us to Christ. He helpfully points us to Christ because gospel friends, they follow Jesus. They are enamored with Jesus. We follow Christ's example, not just because he was a great person, like he had some great attributes, we just want to be like him. No, we are enraptured with him because we are aware of what Christ has done how he went to the cross to save us, how he made us part of his family. And so we follow him. So verse 5, look back at your Bible, it says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So you're going to have this mind. These things that he's talking about in verses 1 to 4 are going to become part of your experience because you need to set your mind right, as we've talked about. We need to set our minds on Christ. It's not just do these things. We're not meant to read these things and go, oh, I'm not doing them. I should feel horrible about that until I can figure out how to do it right. No, he says, no, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. It's yours in Christ Jesus. If you have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, he has sent his spirit to be your helper. He's not calling you to do something on your own. No, he said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. So this is yours in Christ Jesus. You can have faith for the transformation in your life because he's at work in you. And he simply says, focus on Christ. So Jesus is the great example because Jesus is others focused. Look at verses 5 and 6. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. We, we often prize those who are super confident about their abilities and their gifts. 
And the Bible tells us in, in John 1, verse 3, all things were made through him. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Everything that we see made through Christ. Everything. And yet, he doesn't doesn't go to the place of, look at me, look what I've done. I mean, come on, I'm the man. All things were made through me. No, it says, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Humility is not an action. It's a condition of the heart that does bear fruit. When we see that fruit, we'll say that person is humble, but it's a condition of the heart. Jesus didn't see the privilege that he had as something that was for him, for him to bless him, to exploit him. No, he saw it as something to give. He used his privilege for the sake of others. The heart posture of Christ says, I do not keep the privileges afforded to me for myself. He says, no, I I use them for others. I gladly lay them aside for the sake of others, regardless of the price. He had every privilege. Because when when we get privileges, we can... You start to think there because we're something. Jesus had every privilege because he was something. And yet he, he doesn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And I think it's helpful as we think about Christ to think of the opposite, the, the absolute contrast to Jesus. So that would be Satan. That would be Lucifer. Think about him for a moment. Satan was the epitome of angelic beings, created to worship God, being close to the glory of God. But rather than worship God, what he was created to do, he wanted to be worshiped. Rather than being eager to bow in the throne room of God, he wanted to sit on the throne. Satan is a created being. He was a creature created to glorify God, and he wanted to put himself in the place of God. Jesus, on the other hand, was the creator. All things were made through him. So the created being tries to exalt himself and the creator humbles himself. Think about that. That's the contrast. Let's not put ourselves in that like, oh, we don't want to, our contrast isn't how I think about myself as compared to someone else. It's as compared to Christ. And if we find ourselves, finding ourselves wanting to 
put ourselves on the throne in some way, wanting to be worshipped, wanting the praise of men. Jesus offers us forgiveness if we would simply repent and trust. If we say, against you only, Lord, have I sinned. And because of what he did on the cross, we are welcomed in. So we look to Christ. Satan, selfish and proud. Jesus, humble. Satan's the deceiver of mankind from the beginning. What did he do to Adam and Eve? Oh, you're not like God. Oh, God doesn't want you to know. He doesn't want, want you to be like him. So he is wanting them to be like, you need to be like God. Jesus was God. And the second Adam comes, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. That's what he did. Adam and Eve thought only of themselves. Jesus thought of others. The New Testament, more than 20 times, is instructing us how we're relate, to relate to one another. The word other is the thing that we need to have on our minds. Just a brief review. We're to prefer one another. Romans 12. Edify one another. 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Bear each other's burdens. Galatians 6.2. We should not judge one another. Romans 14.13. But admonish one another. Romans 15.14. And we could go on down the list. Others is the key word for the Christian. Jesus is others focused. And we are called to be others focused. We're called to be others focused. As Christ was others focused, and then he, we see that he serves. Again, verse 7, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Remember, he's it's part of all creation, created all things. He doesn't just snap his fingers or ring a bell for people to do something. No, he speaks, and stuff that's nothing becomes something but he takes the form of a servant. He emptied himself, laying aside his independence, laying aside his independent use of his own attributes as God. He, he becomes permanently a human. Though sinless, he constrains himself to a physical body. And he used that body to be a servant. And he took that body to the cross where he willingly died for our sins. He entered this union being in humanity which he couldn't just leave. It wasn't just like, ah, I don't know if I really like this. I think I Shouldn't have done this. And we willingly did it and walked it through to the end, living every hour perfectly, knowing he needed to be the perfect sacrifice. It wasn't just what he did at the end, it's what he did in his whole life so that he could be the perfect sacrifice, submitting himself to the Father. He wasn't pretending to be a servant. He wasn't some 
actor who was temporarily playing a role. No, he committed himself. He fully submitted himself to, to God's spirit. He was a servant. It's a mindset. It's, it's a heart attitude. And oftentimes we can talk about serving and then go right to the, the practical things of serving. And there's right things that we can talk about of ways that we, we serve. Any number of ways. We have a slide that we've had on the screen the last number of weeks. Ways that you can practically serve. There's other ways that you can serve outside the walls of Sunday morning, whether it's in a small group or leading a small group or whether it's caring for those in need in our community, whether it's discipling someone. There's all different kind of ways that we serve, but it must start with a heart attitude. And if our heart's not right, some of those things, they just become, we can become bitter because we're doing them. Oh, I've got to do this thing again. Or we can start to kind of puff ourselves up. Oh, yeah, I'm doing this thing. I'm getting it done because I'm just an awesome Christian. But if we start with the heart attitude, then we're going to think about others and less about ourselves. The great things we do, we won't notice them because we are thinking about others. There's a story I read about Abraham Lincoln as he interacted with General George B. McLennan who uh, was a great military leader. But unfortunately, this great military leader thought uh, he enjoyed people calling him a young Napoleon because he enjoyed people praising him for his military abilities. But Lincoln saw that he would be useful and, and he was hopeful to get him to serve. So he points him as kind of general-in-chief to lead the Union Army to victory. One night, Lincoln comes to talk with him to his house. He arrives at his house, and the general's not home. And he doesn't arrive till about an hour later. Lincoln's waiting to interact with him about this, and he kind of ignores Lincoln. It goes upstairs, and his servants discover he's gone to bed. Like, with the president there. Just kind of ignores, because he thinks so highly of himself, he goes. But Lincoln is still like, this, this guy could be used to to help us, would serve people in the end. And though those around him were angered, Lincoln gets up, goes home, and says, this is no time to be making points of etiquette and personal dignity. The president explained, I would hold McLennan's horse if he will only bring us success. This attitude of humility is what, what made Lincoln a a great president. He was not thinking of himself. He was thinking of others. What, what do I need to do to serve so that others will be served? How is Christ calling you to have a heart to serve? Certainly, yeah, how is Christ calling you to serve? But, but have you considered your heart the condition of your heart, your heart posture. Do you have the heart of Christ who made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men? And it says in verse 8, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus sacrifices. 
Jesus sacrifices. Because being others focused is not easy. It's a commitment. When we think about friendship just generally in the culture, yeah, it's the people we love hanging with and they're easy to be around and the people that have that interest that we have and there's nothing wrong with having friends who have similar interests with you that you can get together with and laugh with. But in the family of God, there has to be a commitment because they're not all like us. And I don't think this passage is just for us in the family of God, though I think it primarily speaks to that because of the call for unity at the beginning of the passage. But I think it also applies to those outside the church because there are those who are called to serve outside the church to love on that are hard to love. But how do we love? We have to look to Christ who humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. One that he did not deserve. He did not deserve. None of us are being asked to pay the penalty for the sins of the whole world. None of us are being asked to bear the sin that would cause people to be in eternity apart from God. That's what's put in front of us is the example of Christ. It's a commitment. It's a sacrifice. Theologian Warren Wearsby said, many people are willing to serve others if it does not cost them anything. But if there is a price to pay, they suddenly lose interest. Dr. J.H. Uh, Jowett has said, ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. If there is to be any blessing, there must be some bleeding. doesn't mean we're just going to do hard things just because we're not doing these things to earn something from God. Understand the sacrifice that we make in relationship with one another or serving others sacrificially isn't earning us brownie points. Everything was earned at the cross. I want to say that again and again and again. It is finished is what Jesus said. So you aren't, in, I'm, not, I'm not trying to like push you out the door. Go, go serve because you're going to get something for this. No, I want, you to, I want you to look at Christ who deserved to be in his rightful place and he left his rightful place. We want to look to Christ We shouldn't avoid sacrifice, but embrace it to serve others because sacrifice and serving go hand in hand. This was, Paul, if we look at just Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus, if you read through the book of Philippians, that's just the example that there is. Sacrifice and serving go hand in hand. Even in serving in the context of, of church stuff. I mean, yes, if you're gifted in a particular way, yeah. Use those gifts to serve. I love that there are folks that are gifted at organizing things and making food because that's going to make Soup Sunday a wonderful, fun thing to do. And some of us shouldn't be making things for Soup Sunday because we're not gifted in that way. But then there's times where just service is needed and we sacrifice. There, there are folks that serve and harvest kids because there's a need, not because they feel super gifted at check-in. 
rarely, I don't know that anyone's ever come and said, hey, I feel called to do check-in. I have dreams about doing check-in. Oh, I have dreams about running the soundboard because I just love it. When I make mistakes, everyone turns around and looks at me. I just love to do that. Will you, will you give me that privilege? How many times oh, I, I, I'm willing to serve? Because I, I want to do the best that I can to remove distractions so that the body can be served. The security team serves. They're walking around the building, making sure the kids are doing fine and, and taking care of things. You don't even notice that they're, that they're there because they have a heart of Christ. The true test of following Christ's example is not simply how much am I willing to take in terms of suffering, but how much am I willing to give in terms of sacrifice? And again, those that grasp the mind of Christ, for them it's not really sacrifice. I mean, I, I love talking with missionaries and they they share stories about the things that they do and the sacrifices that they make. And you're just like, how in the world do you do that? I give you their secret. They are abiding in Christ. They are enraptured with Christ. To them, it's not a sacrifice. Oh, I'm not going to buy bags. I'm going to buy a coffin. That's what they used to do. Buy a coffin because I'm going to throw my stuff in that because I'm not coming back. Because they saw the, the greater means of the mission going forward. It's a crazy paradox of the Christian life. The more we give, the more we receive. The more we sacrifice, the more God blesses. And again, we're not doing these things to earn God's favor. We, we do them because we, we have God's favor. We want to share this. So are you challenged? Are you challenged in your relationships with one another? Are you challenged when an opportunity to serve comes and it's going to be a sacrifice? Will you look to Christ and take that step and experience the joy that comes from displaying Christ? Because gospel friends, they, they sacrifice. What is, what, is, what is Jesus calling you to sacrifice? And then fourthly, as we look to Christ, we see that Jesus brings glory to God. It says, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The place we should, when we read that, the place we need to go is have we, have we bowed the knee to Christ? Because of what Christ has done he has exalted God in his sacrificial life, in giving his life. And so his name is above every name. And the first response to that is we bow the knee now. Because we will all bow the knee. Everyone that you see, everyone that you have ever known, everyone that you will ever know will bow the knee. Because the greatest name in all of history is Jesus. 
and every knee will bow at his name. And so I want to implore you to bow your knee today if you've not trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, because there will come a day when you will bow the knee. But in that day, it won't be an option. And that day, it will be too late. I want to exhort you to bow the knee and have that heart of a, of a knee bowed throughout the rest of your life. It's not that we come to the altar one day and we just bow our knee and we pray and then we get up and we just live however we want to. No, it's a heart posture. That knee stays bowed for the rest of our lives because we are aware there is no other name. Why do we sing the songs that we sing that point us to Christ? Because there is no other name. There is no other name to exalt, to magnify than the name of Jesus. Even the culture gets it when they deny it. Why? Because they don't like it when we bring up the name of Jesus. They love it when we talk about religion or doing things that they think are good. But as soon as you bring up the name of Jesus, that's when something goes off. Why? Because there's power in the name of Jesus. And they feel it. And they think they can suppress it, but they won't. Because one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. They'll acknowledge it. But you can acknowledge it today and receive him. So friends, in 1 Peter it says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. We aren't seeking glory for ourselves today. The call is to humble ourselves as Christ humbled himself. The call is for us to have the same mind, have the same love, be in full accord and of one mind. The call is to do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than ourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And one day, we will see those rewards. We certainly see the blessing of God today. But it's not about us today, it's about Him. Because it won't be just about Him today, but it'll be about Him for all of eternity. And because He's a good, good Father, He blesses us in our turning our hearts towards Him. And it may be difficult. There's times it will be difficult. But the way we alleviate that is we look to Christ. We look to Christ. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's keep Christ in view. As we think about our relationships, let's keep Christ in view when opportunities to serve come to us. Let's keep Christ in view as we labor together in relationship with one another 
see the name of Jesus glorified, not only in this area, but in other places that God will call us to. Let's pray. Father, thanking, thank you for, for giving us the gift of your revealed word. Thank you, God, for, for giving us the scriptures in, in our language and for giving us the ability to read your word.